Hey, our speaker today is one of my favorite dads. He's not my dad, but he is a good friend of mine. Uh, my friend Steve Davis uh, and his family have been at Genesis Church for 16 years. Uh, Steve and I worked together for a long time. We uh, shared preaching duties for a while. Before we hired uh, our lead pastor, Paul Mumaw, Steve and I would trade off uh, from week to week. So maybe you don't know him and maybe you haven't seen him, but he serves a lot behind the scenes. In fact, Steve is now the chairman of our elder team. So if you have any problems with Genesis Church, take them straight to him. Yeah, He'd love to you. answer those questions. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, you're welcome. But uh, would you please help me welcome to the stage my friend, Steve Davis. I love that guy. Thank you. Uh, I am glad to be here. I'll confess I'm a little nervous. It's been a minute since I've done this, uh, and I'm not a professional, so I appreciate your grace. Um, I even had kind of some weird dreams this week about this morning, um, one of which was in the middle of the message, and it was a, a packed house, and everything seemed to be going well, but, but a guy stood up and sort of stormed out, I mean, like beeline to the door, and if any of you need to use the restroom or get a bagel, you're welcome to, to leave. That's not what this is about, but the, the dream, it was, it was an awkward moment, and so as soon as the service was over, his wife approached um, to apologize for this rude behavior, and uh, I confessed that I noticed that her husband had, had walked out of the room, but it, it was okay. I just wondered if I said something to offend him, or was there some sort of family emergency that I should be praying for? And she said, no, no, no. He's always had this issue with sleepwalking. So it is my privilege to be here uh, on, on Father's Day, and uh, welcome, welcome to all of you. I'm super grateful uh, for my dad, who's here, and uh, I, I've had the world's greatest dad, the most encouraging father, uh, and I'm thankful for my, my father-in-law, and I am really grateful to be a dad. But all of that actually pales in comparison to the heavenly father we have and to, to a God that loves us so much that he gave us his word so that we could know him better. Um, and so I hope that you've been learning and enjoying uh, as we're walking through Scripture together as a church this year. And as we, we've already concluded our time in the wisdom literature, which was Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Um, so I, I hope you've enjoyed that. But I've really been encouraged by the videos that go along with the Read Scripture app. And so if you are behind. If you haven't started yet, don't worry. Start from today. We're in Jeremiah now. We're somewhere around chapter 30 if you're on pace. Uh, download the Read Scripture app. Just start today. We still have more than half the year, more than half the Bible uh, to go. Recently we've learned, many of us already knew this, but that wisdom is worth gaining. It's more precious than gold, more precious than silver, and it's worth pursuing like a treasure. And in Proverbs, which is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning, in Proverbs we've got uh, a dad, King Solomon, compiling uh, these short, clever sayings that offer wisdom for his son. And they were written to be easy to memorize phrases to help us live a life that's pleasing to God. And so I'm sure as you've read through Proverbs that you noticed some sort of competing themes. We've got folly and wisdom. 
vengeance and justice, laziness and initiative, poverty and wealth, enemies and friends, lust and love, death and life, the wicked and the godly, the foolish and the wise, the proud and the humble. And it's this last one that I'd like to think about with all of you today. Pride and humility. So we're going to start in Proverbs 3, verse 34. And uh, you're welcome to open your Bibles and you may want to highlight and underline, do what you do. Uh, But we're going to start at Proverbs 3, verse 34. And it says this, the Lord mocks the mockers, but is gracious to the humble. If you've never read through the Old Testament, but maybe you've read through the New Testament in your life, you may recognize this verse or at least this concept. And that's because there's actually two places in the New Testament that quote Proverbs 3.34 directly. First uh, Peter chapter 5 and James chapter 4, uh, both these letters written to early Christians, actually hearken back and, and refer new believers to this verse. In those instances, uh, it's translated as God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I really like the way way that's worded. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. If any of you are like me and it kind of makes you a little uncomfortable that the New Testament quotes the Old Testament but uses slightly different words, this is just for you, um, that bothers me, so I had to understand why those are different. If you're quoting, you use the same words, and if you're paraphrasing, it's not a quote. So why does the New Testament use these slightly different words? And uh, the explanation is the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and about three or 400 years before the New Testament was written, the Hebrew Scriptures were translated into Greek, and so the translation from Hebrew to English, God mocks the mockers, Uh, is slightly different than the translation from Hebrew to Greek and Greek to English, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So just so that everyone can relax, that's, I did the homework. So this morning we're going to think about what this means, but first, uh, please pray with me. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thanks for bringing us together in your name and in your house. And thanks for being uh, in our midst. For the good of the church, Speak through me, and between my lips and the ears of all who hear, I ask you to do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Proverbs 3.34, God mocks the mockers, but it gives gracious to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That should mess with us. Uh, If you hear nothing else, just remember, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And do your own research, do your own thinking this week as to what the implications of that are. Um, in, some, in some ways, it's, it's kind of obvious, but the more I think about it, um, maybe the harder it becomes, the, the more pain it involves for me. But it's a theme in Proverbs. There's actually three more times where this pride and humble pattern uh, is written. So Proverbs 11, verse 2, says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace but with humility comes wisdom. And then in Proverbs 18, 12, um, haughtiness goes before destruction. Haughtiness means pride. And humility precedes honor. And then finally in chapter 29, verse 23, 
Pride ends in humiliation, and with humility, again, brings honor. So, pride and humility. Uh, let's define them both. Pride, the, the Greek word and the Hebrew word, uh, the roots of those words for pride mean to be lifted up. So, something that is standing proud is just, it's standing up, it's rising, it's elevating. And so, when you apply that to the human character, it's merely the lifting up of oneself, the elevation of yourself. Pride is the elevation of myself. And that fits what we see in Scripture uh, when we see the first human sin in Genesis 3. Uh, they're talking about the apple. The snake is tempting Eve. And in the garden, he said about eating the apple, he said, she said, if I eat it, I'll die. And he says, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. You will be like God. And she wanted to be like God. And Adam, who was there this whole time, he wanted to be like God. And so they ate. They wanted to elevate themselves to God's status. And that's, that's what we're doing when we're proud. We're trying to elevate ourselves to God's level. Um, or think of it this way, we're at least competing with God for glory, for attention. That's pride. Uh, a couple months ago when we were reading in Isaiah, we learned about a sin that occurred sort of before human creation. Uh, we learned the motivation uh, in Isaiah 14, verse 13, behind Satan's re rebellion. Um, scripture says about Lucifer, For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars, I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. Uh, Lucifer was to elevate himself and compete with God. Now, as it turns out, God hates that. Hates that. As it turns out, he hates pride. Proverbs 6.16, we get this list of six things God hates, seven things he detests. The very first thing at the top of the list is the proud person's haughty eyes. And in Proverbs 8, verse 13, uh, now we have Lady Wisdom talking, and uh, she says, I hate pride and arrogance. I hate pride and arrogance. Lady Wisdom won't be seen with the proud. She's going to avoid them. She's going to leave them as fools. Proverbs talks a lot about what fools are and how they end up, and the proud are fools. Finally, Proverbs 16.5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. The Lord detests the proud, and they will not go unpunished. So back to our key verse, God mocks the mockers. He opposes the proud, and I realize that here we are a few minutes in, and this is not very encouraging. We know it. We are proud. We know this. We all have moments where we're proud. This is not encouraging. But remember, this is a gift. God is gracious here. How gracious of him to give us these warnings. It's not a secret. It's not a surprise. He's not hiding the ball. He's going to actively oppose the, the proud. So we have this opportunity to get on board. We know the rules. We can join his team because remember, he gives grace to the humble. So the great news is he tells us what he opposes, what he detests, what he hates, and then he provides us 
the antidote. Humility is the antidote for pride. When we define it, not surprisingly, in the Hebrew and Greek roots for the word mean the opposite of standing tall. It means like low-lying, rising not far from the ground. So instead of trying to rise up and compete with God's glory, a humble person is aware of God's supremacy and our position down here. God is up there. I am down here. He's the creator. I'm the created. Sometimes we're tempted to believe this means, since we're aware that we are down here, close to the dirt, that we are worthless, like dirt. We think that maybe being humble, being humble means that I should have a low opinion of me and my worth. So you may have a low opinion of yourself, but that's not necessarily humility because you are unique and special and amazing. And I know that because you were created in God's image. We were created in his image. To Jesus, you were worth hanging on nails for. You were worth dying for. God is ready, God is ready to adopt all of us into his family. So if the creator of the universe thinks we're worth that, it's not that we're worthless. It's not about me telling people that I am worthless and, and low-valued. That would not be Christ-honoring. You have great worth to the creator of the universe. So humility, then, is not this false humility either. It's not telling people how not special I am or uh, how bad I am at things. Colossians 2 says, Feigned humility is fraudulent, is the fraudulent mask of hidden pride. So we're not supposed to fake it either. And I'll say this, the original draft of this message this morning began with a lot of stories, not a lot, but a few, stories about me and how God has used circumstances in my life to humble me. I got lots of examples of that. And so I was going to tell you how I failed at all these things and how I had these bad experiences and how I wasn't worthy to be here to talk about uh, humility, but I sure was pretty good at talking about pride because I know a lot about pride, and I know this, and you should listen to me because I'm low, and it just started to feel bad, and I realized I'm still competing for attention from God, so instead of look how great I am, look at me, it's look how terrible I am, look at me, look how awful I am, oh shucks, look at me, look at me, and so um, for me, and I know this about myself, I have to really check that. Um, there's nothing wrong with illustrations and stories. Even personalizing messages, that's, that's a good thing. Um, in conversations with other people, it's common to trade stories. But am I trading stories to point people at me or to point people in a more important direction? Where's the spotlight? That's the question. So C.S. Lewis has this great summary of humility that's really along these lines. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's more of a frequency thing. I really like that. So now we, we have these definitions. We know what they are. We know what pride is. We know what humility is. So how can we apply it? Because knowledge is different than wisdom. Knowledge is knowing facts and figures and definitions. 
Um, but wisdom's about applying it to real life. And I think wisdom requires God's discernment. This is a great modern-day proverb. It helps me remember the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Because, see, knowledge is like knowing tomato is a fruit. And wisdom is knowing not to put tomato in fruit salad. <laughs> right? I didn't write that, but that's perfect. That's the difference. So, let's talk about what a proud person looks like and what a humble person might look like. Uh, the proud, is, as Proverbs refers to them, fools. The last thing any of us want to be is a fool. The last thing any of us want is to be opposed by God, right? We want to be on his side, not the other side. So when I think about the proud and what characteristics of proud people are, and I start to look around a little bit, and I, I study, and I've studied this topic several times, and I, I think the Lord continues to bring me back to it because I, I truly do struggle, especially with this part. And so I've got to be real careful here. But the first thing that happens when I study characteristics of proud people is I see it on all of you. I watch social media and I look at the people I meet, even first impressions, and I go to work and I interact with people and I see pride everywhere else. And it takes me a minute before I realize, oh no, like this scripture's for me. And when I hold the mirror in front of me, it hurts and I don't like it, but it's important. So uh, when I talk about these characteristics today, for my sake, I'm going to limit them to things I see in me. You, as you study, as you think, as you reflect, just give it a minute. You will start to understand places in your life where you might be proud. Um, so hopefully my examples help you get there. But know that for this morning, this has got to be about me, uh, my pride issues, because otherwise I'll get so distracted and I'll pass the buck um, so the mirror is here. I think proud people are pretty sensitive. It's okay to be sensitive in the respect that you're sensitive to other people. But no, I'm sensitive like a, like a wound is sensitive when it's infected and just barely touching it really hurts. Um, when I'm infected with pride, I'm oversensitive, which means I overreact. Um, that's when road rage sets in. When you start to believe that the person who cut off three lanes of traffic did that just to get in front of me. And then they cut 12 people off, you know, on their way to the exit. But that entire exercise was so that they would ruin my day. Uh, similarly, the person in the drive through lane that takes so long to order that an extra car gets in front of me from the other lane. Oh, come on. That's right. I have even found myself believing that when trains stop on the tracks, they knew that was when I was coming across. <sighs> I find uh, that when I'm pride, I have a hard time letting go of things. I can become bitter. Holding grudges can become, your grudge can become like your pet. You feed it every chance you get. You think about it and you start to get attached to it and they're heavy and they're unnecessary but I get bitter when pride invades and infects me. Um, 
I also get really sure, really certain. Um, even if the issues are really complex, even if we're talking like public health issues, I'm not a doctor, I know nothing, but I mean, I am certain I know the answer on all the questions that we've all been asking for the last 18 months. And if you don't agree with me, I mean, it's not like you're a bad person, you're wrong. <laughs> I'm so certain when I'm proud. I become a bad listener. Um, I'm impossible to argue with or reason with because I'm not listening to you anyway. Um, my ears are shut down. Whatever you're saying, I'm just, I'm hearing the words because I like to pick at words and I'm going to use them in a little bit here, but uh, I'm just waiting to land my devastating blow, right? So I'm really not engaged with you. It makes me unteachable. So I have a hard time sometimes accepting criticism or correction. Now, Proverbs is full of descriptions of people who can't take coaching, people who are uninterested in improving. Um, they're fools. Um, I am foolish when I am unteachable. And then I guess it's a overlaps with a lot of the others, but I'm conflict-oriented, so I'm like locked and loaded. Um, you ever have practice fights in the car or in the shower? <laughs> you know, like the imaginary person is there, and maybe you've already had the fight, and this is what you should have done, but... Um, I'm so good in the car and in the shower. Like, uh, like when I sing in the car and the shower. I, I have Joel's range in the car and in the shower. But um, I'm really conflict-oriented when I'm, when I'm proud. So then what do humble people look like? He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Don't we all want more grace? Wouldn't that be amazing if there was something we could do to attract God's grace uh, hear me, I'm not saying there's anything we can do to earn grace. We can't. Grace is given freely from God because He likes to give good gifts. So we can't earn grace, but Scripture says there's something we can work on, there's something we can grow in that will help attract His gaze and attract His grace, and that's humility. So if you look at the list of fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians 5, you've probably heard the list, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. These are characteristics of humble people. Um, if you look at the list, uh, the definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13, um, you, you remember it. Uh, love is patient and kind and takes no record of wrongs and, and all those things. You probably have heard it at a wedding, had it read at your wedding. You should get that out and look at it. Those things are characteristics of humble people. Here are some other qualities. Um, when I am humble, I am more likely to just be grateful. I have so much to be grateful for, don't you? And if I'd focus more on that, I know that it would foster humility in my life, just to be grateful. Uh, when I'm humble, I'm curious. I'm more open to other perspectives. Again, it seems like I'm more likely to be real closed today. Like maybe all of us, a little more likely to be closed and so sure that I'm right all the time. Um, but I'm trying to be more open to other perspectives and empathetic to people who have a different idea than I do. Uh, I think humble people are lifelong learners. I'm, I'm trying to look for opportunities to improve um, in some pretty important areas of my life. I'd I'd like to be more patient and more disciplined. Um, I'd like to be a better golfer. 
Um, and by the way, golf will teach you humility. <laughs> At least it teaches me humility. Um, I'm more forgiving. Again, grudges are heavy. I don't want to carry them anymore. People offend people. It happens. I don't want to carry that anymore. So I want to be more forgiving. I want to be more encouraging uh, to others. There's always somebody in my circle, in my life, that could use some encouragement. And it's hard to see other people when I'm focused on me. But if I could, uh, if I could look outwardly a little bit and be more encouraging to others, I, I think that'd be good. I could foster more humility that way. And then I find uh, humble people are peacemakers. And when I am, instead of locked and loaded and ready to go with a great argument, when I'm locked and loaded and ready to go with gentle words that turn away wrath, that's more humble. Things tend to go better. And then I find that humble people pray a lot. They are prayers. So I need to do more of that. I think uh, an example I've read of a humble person uh, that, that will help me as I, as I go about my week, I just need to remember, maybe a humble person looks a bit like Sir Edmund Hillary. I don't know if you know this person, but in 1953, that guy was the first, uh, along with his guide, to reach the summit of Mount Everest. And he was instantly a legend, a worldwide legend. Um, he had reached the North Pole, the South Pole, now Everest. He's a world-renowned, he wa was a world-renowned mountaineer. And so immediately a legend around the world, but in his own country, hero, hero status. They put his face on the $5 bill while he was still alive. Imagine having your face on money. That's famous. And after he ascended to the summit of Everest, he spent the rest of his life working to help the people in Nepal, the people in the Himalayas. He was helping build schools and increase literacy. And so he would go back a lot to, to these villages. And um, in the book Humilitas by John Dixon, there's an excerpt about this. And it says this, On one of his many trips back to the Himalayas, he, Sir Edmund, was spotted by a group of tourist climbers. They begged for a photo with the great man, and Hillary obliged. They handed him an ice pick so he would look the part and set up for the photograph. Just then, another tourist climber passed the group, and not recognizing the man at the center, strode up to Hillary saying, Excuse me, that's not how you hold an ice pick. Let me show you. Everyone stood around in amazed silence as Hillary thanked the man, let him adjust the pick, and happily went on with the photograph. Now, I don't know whether Edmund Hillary knew Jesus. I don't know if he truly was a humble man. But this is the kind of reaction I hope to emulate. Now, my face is not likely to end up on money. And I will not be a world-class mountaineer. But there's likely to be a circumstance in my life, there's likely to be a circumstance in your life, where there's this little voice in my head that says, don't they know who you are? You better set them straight. And I hope 
when that happens, my heart is trained enough in humility to discern it's not a big deal. They're only trying to help. It won't make any difference to my day, but it might encourage them to know that they helped somebody take a better picture the rest of this day. So let it go. Smile for the camera. That's the kind of reaction I hope that I can grow into. But finally, to see what true humility look like, looks like, I only need to see the cross. When I remember what Jesus did for me, why would I want the spotlight anywhere near me? I'm the reason he had to hang on the cross. He's worth worshiping. And if I boast, it should be about him. So maybe I should do a little more boasting about him, by the way. But Philippians 2, uh, 5 through 8, has a great summary here. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he didn't think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. So next to the cross, how can we be proud? So this has been a good exercise for me in the last couple weeks to dig in and try and identify the places in my life where I'm proud, where I lack humility. If God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, we all ought to take a moment, lots of moments, and identify where pride is in our life. So um, there's no music behind. This is complete silence. Only the air conditioner is running. Let's take a moment and just let's close our eyes. And just in the next few moments, let's try and identify what God might be saying in your life. Where is pride for you? So let's just uh, close our eyes for a few moments here. Father God, thank you for your grace. We desperately need it. Help us to eradicate pride. Help us to be humble. Thank you for your promise that you will give grace to the humble. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son to die for us and give us the ultimate example of humility. Remind us of the cross. Remind us of your, your love for us. Deliver us from our pride. Forgive us for it. Father, happy Father's Day. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.